Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're going to answer a question that uh, one of our our listeners has actually sent in. uh, And they've said, look, I currently live in Wellington, live and work in Wellington, but I'm keen to move to Auckland in the future. And so want to buy an investment property uh, so that I could move to Auckland in the future and have uh, a hold in that market. Um, And so they're seeking advice about how they should go about it and what are the implications of converting an investment property into an owner-occupied property. So we're going to talk about really two things today. Uh, Secondly, we'll talk about the tax implications, but first up, we're going to talk about how you'd actually go about doing this or our advice about some of the strategy. Now, Andrew, we've been having a bit of a chat off-air about this. What are your sort of thoughts? So we get this question quite a bit. Um, Often, it's not that people want to move to Auckland because all the traffic and uh, Aucklanders, Um, but often we get it from Aucklanders perhaps wanting to move to Tauranga or something like that, or or people wanting to move to Nelson. Now, what I find, generally speaking, is as soon as someone mixes that emotive uh, decision-making process with their investment, uh, they make poor investment decisions. Now, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to buy something that's not going to be able to be rented out, but it might mean that you're getting such a poor yield on that property that your top-up is so significant that it really doesn't stack up. So generally speaking, and remember we say that kind of, you know, 5% of properties might make good investment properties. So if that's the case, then you've got a 1 in 20 chance that your house, if you go and rent it out, is a, is a, is a good rental, or the property that you're going to buy for yourself in the future is a good rental property. So generally speaking, it might not be the right financial decision. So you really have to assess it uh, as if it's just an investment property and only on those investment merits. So you want to be looking at the kind of things like what am I going to be topping up by, um, uh, is this going to stop me buying other investment properties, etc. So generally what we find is that Say, say um, someone were to do this and the top-up might be, say, $400 a week or something like that because they've you know bought a really nice house that they're going to live in, but the rent's you know not as good as what we would expect on a rental property. Maybe what they do is they take that $400 and they distribute that over five properties perhaps over the country to kind of spread their risk a little bit, make sure that they've got different different um, eggs in different baskets. Uh, they've got you know, a property in Christchurch, property in Wellington, property in Tauranga, property in Hamilton, and maybe something in Auckland that maybe is a better investment. And then to use the growth on all of those properties in however many number of years, 15 years, use that to then fund their purchase in cash. Um, and generally speaking, that would be a better financial decision. Yes, and one of the things that uh, I actually didn't mention is that this would be the first property that this person is potentially buying. And so what we're really doing here is reframing uh, the question that you're asking. Instead of saying, I want to get into the Auckland property market now because I want to lock in today's price rather than what prices might be in five or ten years when this person actually does make the move. It's The question is really, how do you use investment property to be able to build enough equity so that you can get into Auckland and buy the house that you really want uh, when you eventually do make that decision? And actually, you don't have to buy an investment property in Auckland at all in order to be able to do this. You could buy in in Christchurch or, or Hamilton and other growth areas if your um, if if your finances allowed you to, so that you could build up the equity. So you can eventually get into Auckland. Just because you want to move into Auckland now doesn't mean your investment property has to be in Auckland. Um, and so there are a couple of strategies you can also use when you do start to go and buy. One that that Andrew's outlined is 
you could go and buy a lot of properties now so that you've got a freehold home when you eventually do buy. Another is uh, if, you, if you're starting out like this person is, you might just buy one investment property and then as it appreciates in five years' time, you might use the equity that's built, been built up in that property to fund the deposit for your, your uh, owner-occupier home. Now, in that situation, you'd then end up with two properties that you've got as opposed to the one if you've gone and bought an investment property and then decided to live in it. Yes, I think we did a podcast not so long ago on some clients that I was working with who were first-home buyers, and they were um, really interested in paying down debt at a quite aggressive rate. And so what we did in that instance is rather than stretch them to um, you know to the point where they weren't going to be able to afford um, to you know eat out ever, um, we we helped them to buy one property, make you know. Over minimum payments, but still, you know, some close to close to closer to minimum payments, but then use a little bit of extra to buy an investment property, and then we worked out that equilibrium point of when they could sell that rental property to pay off their house, and they could do it at a much, much um, faster rate um, and without breaking the bank. Uh, so that was really cool for them. So essentially what we're saying is first step, go out and buy a property based on its investment merits. Now that may be in Auckland because Auckland's got some fantastic capital growth rates. If if your personal situation allows you to, if it's going to be negatively geared and you can top it up and all of those kinds of things. But step one, buy a property that is geared for investment rather than, than something that's more emotive because you know you're going to want to live in that in the future. Now step two and the second part of the question is what are the tax implications of, of changing a property, say they did purchase an investment property and were going to turn it into an owner-occupier home for whatever reason, or listeners who, who have bought an investment property, uh, perhaps just for investment reasons, but now have decided they want to live in it, what are the tax implications? How do you go doing uh, going about that? So uh, so the way this works, if let's just say that someone goes out with this strategy where they buy a couple of rental properties, they use the increased equity later to buy their, their owner-occupied property freehold or or, or at least to transfer that equity into their owner-occupied property. Um, so that's the most tax-efficient way of doing things. Now, for those of you who um, have been around for a wee while and may have been investing pre-2010, um, you'll probably remember a thing called an LAQC, which was a loss-attributing qualifying company. Um, these were very popular back then. Um, and then those of you that have been post then um, will, will maybe know a similar type of mechanism, which is called a look-through company or an LTC. So this is where you use a different entity to own your um, investment properties, and it's, and it's a company, and, and then... In the past, the losses would throw flow through to the the shareholders. Now, they were used for a couple of different reasons, and I'll just group them together. They they are different uh, in the way that they're structured in the in the eyes of the IRD, but um, they're similar. So we'll just group them together just for the sake of keeping this uh, podcast straightforward today. So um, basically, what would happen is, um, say say Ed and I wanted to buy an investment property. Uh, together and let's say Ed earned more money than me which is true and then we structured it so that we um, we wanted to offset the losses uh, that we made on that rental property that negative gear, gearing side of things against the higher income earner i.e. Ed then what you would do is you would often structure it so that the shareholding was the, the, the majority of the shareholding was in Ed's name. Say it was say it was a, a regular couple, and you had ninety nine percent in in the in the majority share uh, majority income owner's name. They would receive ninety nine percent of the tax benefits, and so of course you got more money back. So so that was that was very common to 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 use them for those. The other 
thing you would use them for is if you needed to transfer debt. Now let's take an example of someone that's bought a house, uh, say 10 years ago, they paid $200,000 for it, it's now worth 500000 And we'll say that they had an interest-only mortgage, and so now they've got 300000 worth of equity in that property. Now if they go and buy a million-dollar house uh, in Auckland, they want that 300000 worth of equity in their own property. So uh, what you've got to do, you've got to create a reason for that to have occurred. You can't just all of a sudden extend that mortgage of two hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, and then and then when you're borrowing for the for the owner occupied, rather than borrowing a million, you borrow seven hundred thousand. Um, what you do is you sell that rental property to a LTC. LTC is what you use today, look-through company. And so that transaction allows there to be a legitimate reason for you to increase that mortgage. So uh, this works quite, quite well if, if um, again, you're moving out of your own house and you're turning it into a rental property and you need to leverage that debt to the maximum. Um, again, you're going to have the same levels of debt, it's just whether or not you've got tax-deductible debt or non-tax-deductible debt. So um, so what you would do in, in this instance, so say you'd accumulated a few rental properties, you'd sell those to the uh, look-through company at today's market value, you would mortgage them to the hilt, essentially, so you take out 100% of that value, then the look-through company owes you money, and so you would give all that capital to you, and that would, that would minimise the amount of debt that you would carry in your own name. So that's a very good tax structure, and it also means that your personal mortgage is, is down quite low. Now one thing to remember though, is there is the possibility that you could trigger bright line tests nowadays. So um, say you bought an investment property today and then you started uh, you started to make this change in say four years time, if you sold that that um, rental property, into a, so you bought it in your own name, now you're transferring it to a look-through company to, to get the benefit of that, that leverage. Um, doing that within the four years you would pay tax even though it's being sold to yourself through this company it's considered a separate entity so you have to be very very careful that you don't trigger Brightline and then start paying income tax on all of that profit so in the, in the case that we used before the 200000 selling for 500000 um, all of a sudden you've got 300000 that you're going to pay tax on. Fantastic well let's wrap it up there because uh, and actually just what I should say as well is uh, if you are planning to do this, make sure you get some some specialist financial advice um, and tax advice. Just uh, don't don't just uh, listen to our ten minute podcast and, and start start implementing straight away. Uh, especially when when these can get quite quite complex and can depend on your personal situation. Um, but let's wrap, wrap it up there. Uh, thanks for listening to the the Property Academy podcast. And look, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It really does help us get the message out to more and more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property. Andrew and I over the holidays wrote a really good, or at least we think it's really good, um, nine and a half thousand word guide to getting a mortgage and paying it off quicker. It's called the Epic Guide to Mortgages and we're going to link that in the show notes as well. So make sure to check it out there. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.